What if our capacity to imagine has been so badly damaged by the information climate of our times that destruction is all we can see? What if deforming our ability to imagine the present is precisely what governments and power structures do to control us? And what if I told you we have the power to change this? I believe we do. To seize this power requires a radical change in perspective, however. To do so, we need to take one tool being vandalized before our very eyes, language, and reclaim it, and redefine what it means to be an ethical citizen in the present moment. Hello, this is Rick, and welcome to this channel, if you will, of my podcast, Words for Now and Later. Those words that you just heard are not my own words. Those are words from Mr. John Freeman in his uh, recently but pre-pandemic published Dictionary of the Undoing. And if this is your first time listening to this channel of my podcast, I would encourage you to listen to the first episode in which I explain um, in greater detail what I am seeking to do with this particular channel of podcast. You are here for the letter I, which, perhaps not surprisingly, I is for I, or me, in other words. And um, Mr. Freeman has some really, um, I think, important uh, and insightful ideas here. So I'm going to be reading a little bit more of his words before I uh, reflect on how this is applied to this present moment and to the time to come. He begins on page 51. He says, we hear a lot about ourselves on the internet. And I think we all know that the I and iPhone means me, right? And we're all about social media and the likes and the approval that we get by sharing on it. And he calls that an interesting thing. He says, this is the mirror, the mirror, social media. It's always there and it feeds us. That's on page 52. And I think as many of us have experienced, maybe even fairly recently during this pandemic period, it can be overwhelming, too much. And he goes on to say, is it any wonder we are crippled by apathy? Apathy is the natural response to this tidal wave of agitating self-regard. Page 53. And then as a reminder, we must step away from this technology. Quote, the internet is not the world. It is a dream that distracts us from the world itself. Page 54. And, you know, a lot of us lament that we have lost our local bookstores, coffee shops, institutions. And we might need this reminder that Mr. Freeman gives us on page 54. He says, quote, anything requiring the word our has ironically been put under threat by the greatest communication device ever created as it tipped toward the intense and endless empowerment of the word I. So in other words, everything that could be an our, our coffee shop, our bookstore, our community, because of the internet, it has become more and more likely an I or a me or a my to use different um, pronouns. And a good question Mr. Freeman raises is why would you shop locally when you can save globally, right? And have it shipped right to your door quickly and conveniently. And 
I think at the heart of this is a misunderstanding. He says on page 55, quote, the word often used to describe this interaction between our entitled digital self and the world is freedom, right? And the whole internet is built around freedom and power, empowerment. But, and I think this is a really important thing to consider on page 55, we too often confuse freedom with liberty. The ability to act without restraint, which is freedom, with the ability to act without oppressive restrictions, liberty. And they are not the same. Reasonable limits to our behavior is the definition of civil society. We must have limits. And that is the difference. Freedom is important and we do have freedom, but we also must have these limits to the civil society. And he goes on to say also on page 55, and if decency, fairness, and a tiny bit of generosity do not enter the picture, we begin to emulate in miniature fashion the tyrannies we would be so wise to resist, thrusting ourselves forward as individuals when in fact we would be much more powerful if we step forward as a we. So I'll pause here because this is a shift that he is encouraging and a shift that I'm very much in favor of myself. The shifting from the entitled, the comfortable, the convenient, the so-called free and liberated I, which is insignificant. It feels powerful, right? Because I got that mirror of my likes and and all the, you know, the, the hits of... Uh, uh, you know, good feeling that I get when I see that. But I am not very powerful. I am much more influential and powerful when I am part of a we. And I'm going to return after this short break with a really wonderful, I think, um, I don't know, a, a litany, no, maybe a hymn of praise. Very poetic, though, to the we that is possible. So stick with me, if you will, through this break. Well, thank you for staying with me through the break. And as I mentioned, the end of the I is for I chapter by Mr. Freeman, he gives this wonderful and I think passionate statement, and perhaps even poetic, you can judge that in a moment, about what it means to be a we. So he says, we need to put down the devices, and we need to connect, meet, talk face to face, which again, being written before the pandemic, um, takes on a different kind of meaning, right? He says, in doing this, we find the power in the we, And I'm going to quote this um, from page 56. The kind of we that our societies need to build ought not to be the kind that is for sale. It is a complicated we, a fractious we, a thoughtful we, a slow we, a we that moves at the speed of conversation, not product cycles, a we that is durable and decent, a we that looks outward and tries to invite people in rather than remind those who aren't here that they have missed out. And I think that we is an urgent need for right now. 
And I've talked about this before, my ongoing just absolute frustration with the it's called the politicization of masks, you know, that, you know, one side, the the conservative, the right, the Republicans uh, don't want to wear masks. And, I, you know, I, I go out and I see far too many people where I live without a mask in public. And again, I don't know if they're Republican or Democrat, liberal, progressive, doesn't matter, but they're not wearing a mask. So I don't know that it's just about political affiliation and identity that the mask may or may not give one, at least in their own mind. But I will say that it's a we thing, right? We need to wear masks to protect each other. It's not about protecting me per se, although wearing a mask will afford me more protection than if I wasn't wearing a mask. But it's a we, a we It's a common good. And again, I think we have a lot of work to do in this area. And I think that it goes both ways, top down and bottom up. And I think we are seeing right now in the we that is forming with the uprising, because I think that's what this is. I don't call it just protests. I think it's an uprising more than a month now since the death of Mr. Floyd, I think this we that is forming is in large part because of our frustration with the fact that the leadership, the very top of this country right now, cannot, is incapable of any sort of calling us to the we. Because let's face it, the narcissist-in-chief doesn't understand we. And he talks a we, right? An us and an our to his people, as he calls them. Not the American people, but his people. And it's a shallow we. It's a partial we. It's a self-centered we, even when he uses that. But it's all about him and an I. And I think part of the anger and the frustration and the energy that is being generated in this uprising is because we in America, as someone has said, I I just, I'm not coming up with this myself. This was on a um, podcast that I heard just the other day. And I'll reference that in the, in the show notes for this and in my edtechemergent.com website, where you can also learn more about what I'm saying here. He says, you know, the American people, it's like having a good team, right? But a crappy terrible, horrible, awful coach. And I think we've seen this, right? You can have all the talent in the world and we have Americans who are hardworking, who are dedicated, who have our struggles, who have a terrible history on on racial relations and all of that. But there's the desire, I think, to do, to survive and not just survive, but to thrive in the midst of this crisis that we are living in. In the leadership that we have, and I don't just mean POTUS 45 in the White House, but the party that has supported him and even the Democrats, too, in, in not, I think, being more bold and being more forceful and calling out the issues that are, are being um, th- that we're struggling with. 
as much as they, they are able to do that, to call them out. I think, though, that we are rising and we are frustrated. And I hope that this we translates into the ballot box in 129 days now. 129 days ago, if you were counting, was about February 19th, I think. So it's not that far. 129 days. And I hope that the we that we have seen, this we that Mr. Freeman is talking about, a fractious we, a thoughtful we, a we that moves at the speed of conversation, a we that is durable and decent, that looks outward and tries to invite people in. I hope that this we shows up, votes, and not just votes at the top, but votes all the way through, becoming a more powerful we than just the I that so many of us seem to be content with. So... Again, thank you for listening. I would encourage you to think about where are the we's that you are a part of now. And how are you, or do you agree with, first of all, the statement that Mr. Freeman says is that there is more power in the we than the I. And if that is indeed the case, where are those we's that are helping you, your own I, to be more powerful, more influential, more effective, in bringing about good and justice and decency into this current world we live in. Again, thank you so much for listening. Blessings and peace.